0: what we should do tomorrow. Keep drinking. We'll have a bloody merry first thing, have a bite at the king's head, couple at the little princess, we'll stagger back in. (laughs) Back at the bar for chance. How's that for a slice of fried gold?
1: I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way.
2: You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain.
1: So what's your name, I see? Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike's your name?
2: You ask anybody.
1: Hey, Warren,
0: who is this guy?
2: Stuntman Mike.
1: taco tuesday dear listener and uh be sure you keep all the rules or we will put you to sleep no we won't this is the good trash genre cast and we're very glad to be with you talking about films that will never make their way into a film studies course and this week's movie is the
2: lego movie to my left my co-host is i am arthur gordon and i only work in black and sometimes very very dark gray
1: Excellent, excellent. To my right, my other co-host. My
2: name is Dalton Stewart,
1: and you know what? I can be dark and brooding, too. Hey, look, a rainbow. (laughs) Thank you very much. We're missing Miss Alexander Bohannon, but my name is Dustin Sells, and come with me if you want to not die. And uh, let's move on and start talking about this great little film called The Lego Movie. Now, dear listener, we have to warn you, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. There will be spoilers. We're going to do a very quick little review after a synopsis, and then we're going to jump right into spoilerific, spoiler-rich territory. That's right, way past Middle Zealand. We are going to be spoiling like those pirates. And so you have been fairly and duly warned. But as we approach that time... Turns out the Legos are made of people. (laughs) Tragic, tragic tale. Let's begin with a voice of the cinema synopsis from Mr. Arthur Gordon.
2: An ordinary Lego construction worker, thought to be the prophesied special, is recruited to join a quest to stop an evil tyrant from gluing the Lego universe. Into eternal stasis.
1: That's right, they've got to beat the craggle, dear listener, and you'll hear more and more about that. Well, let's begin with our... Bring quick...
0: me the sword of exact zero. <laughs> exact.
1: <laughs> the the cloak of Bandai. <laughs> oh it's, it's a shroud, really. Is it a shroud? Just, I don't know, but you know, there might be the outline gotcha. <laughs> of, uh, you know... Oh, One man. former resident of the Shroud. So praise. funny, so funny. <laughs> this whole movie so funny. It's good times. It's good times. So well, let's do our quick reviews. Does it work? Does it not work? And what's good about it? Very briefly, Mister Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir.
2: Uh, two thumbs up for me. I think this is a really fun film. It was your host pick. It was my host pick. Uh, I've talked about my experience with this film before when we talked about disappointing theater experiences. I had a blast watching this, but I watched it in a theater full of people who didn't get it. Oh. so it was kind of, I was the guy that I was that guy that was laughing the entire time. While everybody else is like, this is stupid. Um, Those people are stupid. They are. I think the animation is phenomenal. Uh, The look, the sound, voiceover, the story is just a lot of fun. And it goes to a new place, just kind of beyond Toy Story, taking that a step further. Toy Story kind of explored a kid's imagination. Kind of that question of what happens when I leave the room, do the toys get to come to life. Uh, It takes that a step further. Lego Movie does this, but takes it even further as it adds the psychoanalytical effect of how the child's imagination is fueled and what drives them and forms their ideology. I think the Lego movie is a lot smarter than a lot of comic viewers want to give it credit for. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that quick review,
1: Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what is your quick review?
0: Well, I think that's what makes it so great, Arthur, is how smart this film is. I mean, it is way too smart to be a children's film. And yet it perf- uh, functions perfectly well as a children's film. But, I mean, the, the intro where Emmett is reading about how to fit in, uh, the first time I watched this film, I was laughing so hard I couldn't breathe. Uh, it's so funny. Uh, and then the Octans, great—they make everything: TV shows, <laughs> voting machine. Like yeah. there's a joke about the media distracting us from politics, mm-hmm. and a joke about voting machines being made by evil corporations. Like within the first twenty minutes of this movie, it's crazy. It's crazy, like how adult and not adult isn't like racy because it really isn't anything. Mm. A lot of uh, a lot of children's family films, I guess, that are trying to have a cross appeal. Uh, Shrek was famous for this. Uh, in that they just load it heavily with a bunch of double entendres and pop culture references mm-hmm. this has the pop culture references but it doesn't feel like well, that's going to be dated in two years Like yeah. the, every mm-hmm. pop culture reference is a pretty timeless one um, and only serves to, to continue to build the world uh, Arthur touched on this the casting is fabulous everybody's just on point with their voice acting um, I just can't say enough nice things about this movie I like it a lot uh, everything about this movie is awesome. Everything is
1: awesome.
0: There you go. Including the theme song, Everything is Awesome. Everything is awesome. Because it's Tegan and Sarah and the Lonely Island, and that's not a thing <laughs> I realized I wanted until someone gave it to me. It's fabulous. This means <laughs> aces in my book, guys. Everything is awesome.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I also agree. This movie is lots and lots of fun. It is one of the most massively entertaining uh, films I've seen in the big blockbuster sort of run of films it was great about the movie is how it simultaneously critiques the thing that it is that it's that it totally is this product yes. placing uh, capitalist cash cow machine and it is absolutely poking fun and holes at that sort of thing in a way that really kind of feels authentic even though it it totally is what it's against which is somehow strange. It's the, the, the snake is eating its tail yeah. as you watch this. And that is part of its entertainment appeal. And so you laugh a lot and really, really just have a good time. It's got a good heart to it. And it, it's okay. just it's just a movie that you really enjoy. And it's a great adventure. I do think it is. Uh, my son says this. While off it is massively violent. I mean, really massively violent. I mean, yeah, it's the cartoony violence. Like, uh, it's how G.I. Joe got away with being G.I. Joe on cartoons on TV. Yeah. They used ray guns instead of real guns. Well, yeah. nobody and, ever got shot. And it, and it was fine. Well, this one... This,
0: Everybody gets shot, but they're made out of Lego, so <laughs> nobody cares. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and so, and it's, you know, the fake sort of Lego ray guns. But it is it is massively, massively violent, which is something I do find a little troubling. Yeah, this is live action. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a good point. <laughs> so, uh, but that's about all I could say uh, pro or against, and mostly pro. I really like the Lego movie a lot
0: I was just speaking of violence thinking about uh, when Emmett and Walshow first get away and Liam Neeson's just losing it um, and it, somebody gives him a chair to kick and then one of the robots <laughs> takes off you're like I'm getting out of here and he, <laughs> the chair just sails silently through the air and clocks him it's such a great like, just fabulous perspective joke oh. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of hilarity. You know, great, within. great play, just great wordplay. Great visual gags. Like yeah. uh, Lord and Miller are just on top of it with the script. I mean, it is perfect. It is so funny. It it is funny in every way. Something can be funny. It just yeah, it operates on so many levels that it's mystifying.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, guys, this is not a review show. Of course, everyone likes the Lego movie. I don't know what its fresh rating is at Rotten Tomatoes. A lot, but it's, it, it's quite fresh. As it turns out, and everyone loved it, and it's going to be a darling, I'm sure, uh, come Oscar season, and all of that jazz. But uh, So, fine. Everyone likes this movie. It's fun. You should watch it. But could we do some analysis? Could we say some things about what's going on on the inside and crack it open, and perhaps crack the code? That way we can see the code and become master builders of film analysis. I ask you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what bring you? Well, we were all master builders all along, though, weren't we? Because mm.
0: that's the great thing about this film is it's it operates on two levels but by operating on two levels it's operating on the same level if you follow me um, the film sets up this chosen one mythology in the first like five seconds of the movie uh, in the last five seconds of the movie we find out that the chosen one was a bunch of hoopla hobby and we were all the chosen one all along and that's kind of awesome mm-hmm. because this whole movie is... Plot-wise, The Matrix—it's just The Matrix, and every other similar film about a chosen one prophecy until the very end. And then we, you know, we get these these reveals about the real world exists, and these Legos only exist within the real world, and how this child perceives his father's relationship with the Legos, um, and everything's been a sham all along. Everything's been inspired by a cat poster it's awesome mm-hmm. everything is awesome um and everyone is special in their own way and that's kind of the uh, i think there, there is a joke about everybody getting a trophy at one point but i mean at the same time as dustin said this film skewers what it is and is what it is and it is while it does take a pot shot at this it is a testament to how uh, awesome uh, individuality is in a lot of ways uh and that works on a second level that operates, allows it to operate on that first level in this kind of defense of anarchy in, in a lot of ways. In this this defense of how beautiful the unhinged creative can be when we just allow people to do what they want to do and create what they want to create and be who they want to be. Um, yes it descends into some madness and you have to have maybe maybe you have to have somebody there to say hey guys what you're doing is great but maybe we should like collaborate Unikitty is a little weird Allison Breeze Unikitty is the best yeah, thing ever It yeah. makes me happy. she's so great um, but that was the thing that I there's so much working in this film but those were the two things I thought about because they both are working on two different levels about two different things but they kind of merge into this singular thesis uh, about everyone is unique and special, and everyone should be allowed to do what they feel inside. And that kind of it's just really heartwarming and wonderful. And also speaks to this the sociological question of systems and how they can oppose and oppress people, uh, and how if we break out of those systems, we might create our own systems. But if we choose these systems, does that make them better? Mm. Maybe. Maybe not. Who knows? But the fact that we're asking those questions is important, I think, and I'm glad the Lego movie does that and is encouraging children to question systems put in place to marshal their behavior. Uh, I think that's really unique and special. Excellent. The special, if you will. Yeah,
1: that, very good. Well played with the pun there, sir. I appreciate that very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what analysis bring you, sir?
2: In his essay, Notes Towards a Theory of Animation, Paul Wells discusses and theorizes on the form that is animation. Wells outlines several key traits of animations and breaks it down into two categories, orthodox animation and experimental animation. We could most easily compare this with the relationship between the classical Hollywood style and art cinema. Uh, in the orthodox category, Wells classifies films that follow Disney's, quote, art and hyper realist animated, end quote, style, while the experimental would be those films that play with the film medium itself and push the abstract and avant garde boundaries. In his essay, Wells uses the Warner Brothers short Duck Amuck. Uh, to highlight the orthodox style while highlighting uh, the short's own deconstruction of that style for those who may not know Duckamuck is uh, the short in which Daffy Duck breaks the fourth wall and battles his animator for roughly oh. 5 minutes. Oh, I know. And Duckamuck a lot of fun. And there, it's awesome. There,
1: there's some beaker racing and it's hilarious. Oh, so there's great. a reason that's a classic.
2: Similarly, we can look at the Lego movie in such a way. Uh, the key to this orthodox style is that it follows several rules to uphold this hyperrealism. This hyperrealism Does not refer to realism in the sense that we may be accustomed to, but to a believability of events that are acceptable uh, within the world that is created. For example, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, there is no realistic truth to Toontown existing. However, it is perfectly feasible and unquestionably belongs to the universe that Zemeckis creates and is imperative to the narrative he is sharing. This orthodox style is composed of seven markers. Configuration, which are our characters by whom we identify with, although they may not be flesh and blood human. Continuity and narrative form Similar to the classical style Narrative is king And everything that is accomplished Within the film Serves the narrative Evolution of content Which sees the animation Seek to focus on character And world building And avoids highlighting The medium that created it Unity of style Which basically means That the film starts In its animated style of choice I.e. CGI Cell shading or claymation And doesn't change The absence of artist And finally Dynamics of dialogue Which is the specific sound And style of the script That the film uses And which signal And develop the jokes Or narrative an example of this are the catchphrases developed by the Warner Brothers cartoon characters.
0: It's wabbit season! Duck season! Wabbit season! Duck season! Wabbit season! Duck season! Wabbit
1: season! Wabbit season, 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 season! Duck season! Wabbit season! I say it's duck season, and I say fire! <laughs>
2: For 90 minutes, Lego Movie seeks to build and develop a world through which an action-adventure film takes place. The Lego universe that is developed plays by these orthodox rules, while also stretching and breaking them, thus deconstructing the notions and beliefs we have of the film going in. On the surface, the first 80 minutes or so of the film play like a traditional animated film, and the narrative is leading us in one direction, and in many ways it echoes back to Toy Story and Wreck-It Ralph. It brings a child's imagination to life about what goes on with these characters uh, that we are so familiar with. The film plays well within the orthodox style as far as dynamic dialogue and absence of artists are concerned. And for the first 80 minutes or so, the narrative that we have understood to be front and center is the king. The plot we are served is heavy on the hero's journey and follows and skews many of those archetypes served up by Joseph Campbell's work. Uh, This is the first and most prolific deconstruction that we see within the Lego movie. It is within the last portion of the film, in the third act, that we discover that the narrative we need to be king is usurped by a secondary narrative. In it we discover that the narrative we have been following is essentially a small plot device to a larger cinematic narrative at work. The film further deconstructs its animated style by not only doing away with it in increments towards the end, but also by playing with the unity of style and the content and ultimately it bait and switches us on the configuration. The LEGO Movie combines elements of a few animation styles, primarily stop motion and CGI. It blends the two to create a beautiful and at times breathtaking universe that works completely within the physics of what a Lego world should be. Well,
0: that's what's so fabulous, I think, Arthur. I mean, it, it is CGI made to look like uh, stop motion, which is just so mind-bogglingly perfect that I'm glad somebody thought of it because I yeah. can't imagine this film not looking that way. Yeah. And I think that is, you're, you're right. I mean, there's something very special about that animation style they chose.
2: The world is clunky, awkward, and disjointed, and it is through this stop motion style and the policy of CGI that we get that. This strengthens the realization of this being a child's imagination going full bore and helps to bridge the movie into live action at the end of the film. We see a move away from the evolution of content in two key moments. The first is the string by which the ghost of Vitruvius is (laughs) lowered, uh, which is done as an elevated sight gag and is quite humorous, but it also seeks to remind us that this does take place within a child's mind, and that child is probably actually standing there holding Vitruvius over the other characters. The second move takes place in the real world, quote-unquote, which Will Ferrell's character, the father, takes a step. When he moves, the sound effect of Lord Business is played over him. This once again subconsciously connects him to the character that he resembles in the animated portion, but more importantly, it connects him directly to the monster that he is in his own son's mind. In all of this, the Lego movie moves from being simply a fun adventure tale to a harrowing story of the way a child sees his parent and the impact of that parent's actions on a child's mind and the way the child develops their worldview or ideology. It serves to show that the Lego movie is much more layered and deeply developed than some may give it credit for.
0: I, I couldn't agree more, Arthur. Yeah, I, and I I was really surprised when I started to realize there were people who didn't think this movie was as smart as I did. Yeah. I, I was really taken aback by that. Yeah. It hurts. It hurts deep down. They're
1: missing it. They're just missing it. It's just too bad. Because there, there is so much going on
0: here. Yeah, and I, I mean, Arthur definitely touched on some things that I really love about this film.
1: Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, the analysis I want to bring kind of ties on to something that Alton mentioned. That been actually is in part and parcel uh, part of this chapter that I've just recently produced on The Walking Dead. But it's more of, a, of another shade of it. Is There's this sort of intentionality right now in the way heroic narratives are being put together now in the, in the, the mid-teens of the 21st century, in which they are much more communitarian than they are individualistic and messianic. In their intent, and this one intentionally turns messianism on its head. And so, the the special that is prophesied, the prophecy's all baloney. It's all bogus anyway. And the point is that these people need to bond together. That they need to work together in order to resist the hordes that surround them. Which is again something that I might have said about zombies. Everything's great when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome. Right. But what happened in the 70s with the blockbuster, it became sort of a Campbell-esque hero's journey in which you need to ignore your friends and ignore the good advice you get from people around you. And from there, you need to rely on the magic inside you to win the day. The great example being Luke Skywalker, who is being advised, there's a targeting computer, it's a very small opening on the Death Star, you ought to use that, and of course he needs to trust the magic inside of him, trust the Force, and listen to old Ben Kenobi. In the same way in Empire Strikes Back, uh, Yoda tells him, this can go very very badly for you. This is detrimental, you'll get information out of order that you don't really want to be getting at this time, and you may be a failure in your progress and, your, or rather your, your quest anyway to save Han and Leia and he ignores them and that's the point because he's got the magic inside of him. I've got the magic in me every time I touch that track it turns into gold now everybody knows I've got the magic in me he is Harry Potter he's the chosen one and because of that, he is the one that just needs to rely on himself and do what needs to be done. Now, Harry Potter shows a little bit of a step forward, though, because Harry Potter is kind of a schmuck. The only reason why Harry's able to do anything ever is because he's got Hermione, and sometimes we're on. But there, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of shade forward, and I really I really like that it's mm-hmm. that move forward, but really the whole thing is is in resistance to this massive step backward yeah, in which... People are not called upon to work together to form new teams. They're not worked upon to find out what's valuable about the contributions of every possible individual. I mean, what Emmett does in achieving his messianism is he is able to establish that his contributions are also as valuable as those of the master builders, even if it's kind of a weird idea like a bunk bed sofa. That
0: double-decker couch is legit. Well,
1: uh, it does float, and that's very, very handy. But the point is, again, it's this communal, communitarian sort of idea that that, that's going to be the mode of resistance. The reason why things don't change... In the world is that every once in a while, you know, history is told about the history of great men, uh, mostly men, mostly white men, occasionally women, occasionally people of color, but mostly dead white dudes doing things to change the world. And we've we've recited and rehearsed these narratives of messianism so much that people fail to work together to make real substantive change because we don't believe we are capable of making that substance change because we are not the messiahs. We are not the chosen ones. Instead of looking at life in a way that we are those who can make the contribution, we could resist together and everything could be better and, you know, Octane could be taken down and it would be a better world if it were. Because we're all the special. Exactly. And again, that's sort of the point that's working in this. And so what I love about this is that it does a, a bit of antidote to the Star Wars infection of the blockbuster, and it brings us somewhere closer to the Wizard of Oz, where all Dorothy really knows how to do is be nice and make friends, and that's how she makes her way back home. I like that sort of story better because I think it's better for my children, and I think it's better for humanity to be telling stories like that instead of just hope that you're the person, with the magic in you and if you are you can ignore everybody else
0: fair counterpoint though nobody wants to be Luke Skywalker everybody wants to be Han Solo
1: that is incorrect and you're incorrect. Fun- fundamentally flawed what? you don't want a lightsaber no I want a lightsaber that's why I want to be a Jedi but nobody wants to
0: be Luke Skywalker if, you're, if you have to pick from the main cast pick Han the badass
1: dear listener By all means, dear listener, send your corrections.
0: Luke or Han? Han, Luke's a joke. Get at me. I am appalled. Luke's a joke protagonist. Yeah, Luke doesn't become cool. Tiny baby. He doesn't become cool till Return of the Jedi. Well, that's fair because he's growing up. He's a kid.
2: That's not enough. Han's cool for three films. Yeah, Han's
1: cool for three movies, and each one even
2: frozen and carbonite, still still cooler than Luke.
1: Well, no, who's scruffy looking? He's a punk. I mean, come on now.
0: I love you. I know. Like a
1: mouse Yeah, yeah, I'm not, not a big Haunt fan, I'm going to have to say. I'm not, I'm not digging on the Haunt. I wanted to be a Jedi. Always a Jedi and always Luke, because um, it's all I had. The point is, I do like the cooperative, the communalistic, uh, how a little anarchy when we all work together can make some big stuff happen. And uh, let's do some more of that, dear Litter. That's all I have to say. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for your... F- for... <laughs> For your analyses let's move on though we must choose we must choose but choose wisely it's time that we had a verdict shelf or trash and then I think more interestingly else or instead Mr. Dalton Stewart what say you?
0: I love this movie a lot It, it is still I mean this came out in April? yeah it's still one of my favorite movies of the year uh, and we're in August now uh, granted, I am a little bit lower on my threshold than I usually am at this point in the year. I mean, at this point last year, I'd seen a lot more movies. Um, but it's still—I mean—it's up there with some really fantastic films I've seen this year. Um, I love it. Uh, I give it eighteen Lego trash cans out of twenty. Uh, I think it's absolutely fabulous. The only thing that keeps it from that full 20 is I get a little tired uh, at some of the jokes. Mm. Yeah, you know, you can laugh too hard in comedy if you don't pr- parse your jokes out. Uh, and I think I, I kind of got that both times I watched this. I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done laughing at this point. Like, I can't. Su- it, it can't sustain the momentum all the way through. And that's, like, the only paltry, yep. cl- like, criticism that I can bring to it. Because I think this film does operate, as we've touched on, operates so well on so many levels that it really is hard to, to nitpick at it. Um, and I think if you you are nitpicking at it, I'm kind of curious what your nitpicks are because I can't really think of that many.
1: They probably have nits, huh? They probably have nits. Ah, what's wrong? Humorous. With
0: them. Uh, I don't really have very many Elster insteads. I have but one else. Uh, Alex mentioned the the film V for Vendetta. A few weeks ago, I would actually recommend the comic book *V for Vendetta*. And here's why: uh, the film is a good film, but it doesn't ask as interesting a question as the the the, uh, the comic does. The film *V for Vendetta* asks, you know, do you want liberty or tyranny? And that's an easy question. Uh, the book asks you a much more interesting question, which is: in the face of fascism, would you do you choose anarchy? Do you choose one extreme over another? Which I think is a more interesting because V is not a, a liberator in the, the comic. He he's a, he's an anarchist, um, which I mean you know definitely probably better than fascism honestly. But I mean it's it, it gives more shades of gray, and I think um, the Lego movie does that in that it choose it asks you to choose. You know, do you accept this anarchy this this beautiful anarchy? It's a little less gray in the Lego movie because you know it's Legos. And everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. And in, in a world that contains a robot pirate, Batman, a unicorn cat, Trinity from the Matrix, essentially Gandalf, um, Shaq, and at all, yeah, that anarchy sounds delightful. Um, but you know, I, I just kind of thought of it as an interesting parallel to this film. There was also, you know, we talked. I talked about the Matrix very briefly, and Dust talked about Star Wars. There's films that crib from this, or rather, there's films that this film cribs from that I think are going to be fundamental to your enjoyment of this film, is your, your familiarity with those films. Uh, and really just uh, any satire. I can't think of any good ones off the top of my head, but I think this film operates really well as a satire, so get, get yourself something some, some good solid satire in there uh, and enjoy a, a mockery of everyday life.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What is your verdict, Mr. Arthur Gordon?
2: That's definitely. It's on my shelf, obviously. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Um, it's got heart. It's got charm. Great voice work again. Uh, I think, just to kind of echo Dalton, if I have a criticism, I think it is a pacing issue. And it may just be kind of going off what you say. I think it just it loads up heavy mm-hmm. front. And it just doesn't stop. And I think it just kind of hurts the pacing about halfway through. Yeah. But other than that, this is a lot of fun. I say you watch this with Toy Story. And I think you watch it with Wreck-It Ralph. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy because of Pratt and a bunch of oddballs coming together to uh, team up and do the right thing and uh, Lord of the Rings Star Wars those, all these things that it's citing and quoting Star Wars Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles early 90s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles just just run with it you know 80s astronaut uh, just, just have fun and so uh, there you go
1: Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I am also going to say Shelf. This movie is definitely the best family film I've seen in a while. I am a little nervous about, the, the, again, just the amount and kind of gratuity of the violence and how it makes it that fun, sexy thing. And I wonder about that for sort of kind of general, cultural sort of reasons. There's robots. Exactly. They're just robots. In, 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 In a world full of drone warfare... And you see the sentinels coming. I, I just, it, it seems to me that it, it is a little bit disturbing. And that, that, that's all I want to say about that. I, again, I love it. It's fun. I, the, the script is so brilliant. I do love the sort of communitarian aspect of it. So there is, uh, there's a lot of love that I have for this movie. And, of course, my children absolutely love it. What else should you watch? You should watch The Wizard of Oz. You should absolutely watch The Wizard of Oz. You should also watch, as Arthur mentioned, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I think it's an absolutely fantastic uh, pick to go alongside it. And uh, those, I think, would make uh, pairing your viewing and kind of expand your mind as you consider what's going on in this film. Gentlemen, thank you very much for that. Let's let the dear listener give some feedback into our Han versus Luke questions, into our analyses, and also to our Shelf's Trashes, elses, and Instead's via that magical and mystical means that we all know of as social media. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you know about those mystical means of social media that are available on the interwebs?
2: First and foremost, you can find us, uh, email us at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. We got a nice email from our friend Keegan Parrish uh, that was supportive and nice, and we thank him for that. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast, and we have nothing from Facebook, so... Here we are. There you go. It's terrible. Well done, Facebook fans. Mr.
1: Dalton Stewart, what social media medium do you know anything about? Guys, if this relationship's going to
0: work out between all of us, I'm going to need to feel free to party with a bunch of strangers whenever I feel like it. I'll tweet you later. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. That's
1: really what it's like, dear listener.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we do have some feedback coming in from the Twitter this week. Uh, we have a myriad of favorites and retweets um, for our uh, Raiders of the Lost Feels episode. Mm. Um, in which our, our, our episode kind of turned into something entirely different than our usual episode in the last 20 minutes. Um, and it's something I'm really glad we did. Yeah, um, that I, I, I feel really happy that we, we chose to, to go that route. Um, we got some new followers... Um, Shane Arrington did write in. He said, I'm, listening, uh, I'm behind on listening to you guys I may have to move this one to the front of the line In reference to our Raiders of the Lost Ark episode um, As always, Brigham Cole gave us some sweet stuff um, You know, to uh, a Badass Digest article about uh, Shaun of the Dead um, He did give us the information that I found out while we were recording And it feel like jumping in Bruce Lee's yellow and black tracksuit is from Game of Death, which is the film that uh, he never finished. Ooh. And the rest of, of News Corner with Brigham Cole, I, I did retweet, so check out those links. Uh, finally, guess who's back? Back again. Vesley's back. Oh, it's good to hear. Grab a friend. He sent us four different comments. Vesley back in spectacular fashion once again. He recommends a uh, new comic series from Vertigo. uh, That's DC's um, mature imprint called Bodies. In which uh, a body is found in four different time periods in the same spots. So four time periods, same spot, same body. Ooh. That is bizarre. I know, right? Um, He also uh, said he watched a Best Picture winner this weekend. It's got cameos from a young Walken and a young Goldblum. What movie? Question mark. No cheating. I'll read anything you put on the teleprompter. I couldn't figure it out. Best picture winner. Best or picture winner. Best picture winner. With, with a Gold-
1: young Goldblum. And a young Joaquin. And a young Joaquin. 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 Young Christopher. Deer Walken. Hunter. Oh, Deer Hunter, yeah.
0: That's not a cameo. He says cameos. Oh. He says cameos of young Joaquin and Goldblum. I don't think came... uh it had, the, uh-huh. it had to be late 70s, early 80s. It had to be early 70s. Yeah, it'd be early in the 70s then. Yeah, because Walken's not making cameos yeah. in the late 70s, because that's cause there's Deer there's So Are they
1: in Annie Hall? Oh, shit. I don't
0: know. Maybe. Maybe. I think
1: they might be in Annie Hall.
0: Did Annie Hall win this be picture? Yeah. 77. Yeah, they did. Annie Hall did win.
1: Well, dear listener,
0: I don't know. And we didn't look it up. We didn't cheat. So, uh I don't know. If you, you figure it out. Uh... I don't know, we'll announce es- it next week Yeah, Caleb S. Lee will give you a cookie or something mm-hmm. He said he was he, Caleb also mentioned that he was fired up In a bad way about The Giver He says if it's not meant to be an action movie Stop trying to recreate The Hunger Games Wow And finally he yeah. took some uh, pot shots At The Expendables 3 Caleb, don't kick a man while he's down
1: you know, that movie was leaked on the internet, uh, what, a week and a half before its release? That was the
0: article he posted, uh, yeah. He, yeah. He said, is that why? And he goes, no, boring and lazy filmmaking is the blame. If they made it better, if they'd done their job better, it would have made more money.
1: There's that. I and think, the trailer gave everything away, right?
0: I just don't think people care anymore. Yeah, I think there's that too. I think the jokes ran its course. Mm-hmm. I don't think it has anything to do with piracy. Yeah, it's all that 80s love is done now. Because the people that were going to pirate this movie were going to pirate it regardless <laughs> of when it leaked online. And that is all the feedback we have coming in from Twitter this week. Once again, Caleb Besley has made his triumphant return as the king of Twitter feedback,
1: and has delivered us all from this week in Nick Sanford. So, thank you, Caleb. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Was not an idle threat. What if
2: Caleb Besley is just an alternate account, Nick
1: Sanford? No, Caleb's a real person. Both are filmmakers, though, so the singularity may exist. They may, like, share. You have no proof to show me they're not the same person. (laughs) I've only met one of them. They could indeed be, and I've never seen them both in the room at the same time, so that is disturbing. Mm -hmm. Bruce Wayne, who's that? Sounds like a cool guy. (laughs) No,
0: parents. (laughs) Everything is awesome.
1: Also, dear listener, of course, we're available on iTunes to follow. You can give us a rating and a review there. That's very, very helpful. We're there at Stitcher, we're there at Stitcher Internet Radio. Also, you can find us at the main site, which is good trash, genrecast.podbean.com. And we look forward to continuing the conversation with you there. But, dear co-hosts, it's time to play the game. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game! (laughs) This week's game is movie ideas that look stupid on paper, like Legos with cameos from all the famous Lego properties with an adventure story that's basically The Matrix. That sounds dumb, but actually worked out to be kind of awesome. That's right,
0: movies that sound like bad ideas on paper, brought to you by The Lego Movie. The Lego Movie when you
1: need an idea that sounds bad but is actually awesome call the Lego Movie there you go thank you so much for that Dalton Mr. Dalton Stewart what are your picks well
0: um, I had two that really sprang to mind instantly Uh, the first one was Phone Booth directed by Joel Schumacher starring pre-super famous well no pretty much mid famous right before he exploded because he was in too many movies at once Colin Farrell Uh, it's a movie about a guy in a phone booth and that's it, essentially. Yeah. Um, and then we find out why he's in the phone booth. Like, it, I like that movie a lot. I think it's pretty much a top-notch thriller. But yeah, on paper, it just does not sound very good. And a lot of people didn't go see it. Um, it had a lot of problems. Had a troubled release. It got pushed back after uh, the events of September 11th. Um, and it still never really found the, the cult following that I think it deserves. But man, I think it's a really underrated flick. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I've kind of got a soft spot for it but on paper it's just sometimes a high concept sounds like a great idea on paper and sometimes a high concept sounds like a terrible idea on paper you know what I mean and that's and when I say high concept listener I don't mean The Matrix I mean guy stuck in one place for an hour and 30 minutes because X, Y, and Z um, and Buried starring Ryan Reynolds That one actually sounds like a better idea on paper, I think. Uh, "Lock" starring Tom Hardy, which just came out, sounds like a better idea on paper. For some reason, Phone Booth just sounds bad to me. Uh, But it's actually fantastic. The second choice that immediately came to mind, uh, and it's probably because it's got a cameo from Chris Pratt, uh, pre-Parks and Rec, is Wanted, um, from Timor Bakmanikov, uh, starring James McAvoy. Uh, I'm just going to read the plot synapses from uh, IMDb. And that is, a frustrated office worker learns that he's the son of a professional assassin and that he shares his father's superhuman killing abilities. That sounds terrible. Yeah. That sounds like a direct to DVD movie. Hey, uh, we made this movie based on this really underread comic from a comic writer you haven't ever heard of because nobody's heard of Kick Ass yet. Okay, what's it about? Well, there's these. Well, we're not going to do the comic, so we don't need to tell you about that. Okay. Well, there's these League of Assassins. Okay. And uh, they kill people uh, because a loom tells them to. Okay. And, uh, and and then and, and, and Tom Anderson finds out he's one of the assassins okay it sounds awful mm-hmm. it sounds like a garbage movie it's freaking great it's a fabulous action film uh, really well made really well shot just interesting to look at in general as a film I like it a lot uh, it's, it has the distinction of being one of the very few films that I own But that's because it came out when I was still buying movies
1: and uh, that's all I've got that's, those were my picks Excellent, I like those very much. I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to get outside of the good trash. I want to go in the higher echelons. I was trying to think of, of, some. of some great classics that just sound terrible. How about this one? I'm retired glad did. Retired police detective with sort of a phobia issue, falls in love with the person he's following, but she's haunted by a ghost, or so she thinks. Then he dies, then he meets her ghost, and then she dies. Vertigo. to go. Yeah. Does yeah. that not sound stupid? I know that sounds pretty stupid. That sounds like the worst movie ever. It's actually, according to the British film, it's the greatest film of all time, as of the most recent poll. Yeah. And it sounds so stinking dumb. It's just, yeah. And I really, really like that film a lot. Now, in international cinema, here's one. A guy's about to die of cancer, and he can recall his past lives, in which he was a catfish a strange monkey, and maybe a princess. Is
0: that uh, Uncle,
1: Uncle Boonby who the can recall his past lives? Yeah. And nothing much happens. I thought of one that sounds bad on paper. What's that? Uh,
0: Germany, circa 1980. A fat guy watches an artist and his girlfriend. Right? Yes! Yeah. The Lies of Others. Yes. It's uh, yes. uh, such a good movie. It's so stinking good. <laughs> <laughs> I've got another one. Another, another world cinema, alright? Alright, let's hear it. An, autobiog- an autobiography of the editor and chief chief of L magazine.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a snore.
0: Yeah, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Um, Here's another one. Pop a top, listener. A movie about Facebook. Mm, yeah, that sounds terrible. Yeah, and I was angry when I heard about that and then heard who
1: was directing it and then shit my pants. You make a point, you make a point. Yeah, good movie. <laughs> Thank you so much for those picks. Gentlemen, dear listener, we would love to hear your favorite films that sound like a terrible idea on paper. Well, let's move on and conclude this show, as we always do, with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Oh my god! We're having a fire sale! Oh, the burning! It burns
0: me! Evacuate
1: all the school children! Oh!
0: Mr. Donald are you fired up? Not particularly. A little bit. Why'd you make that face? One's a fired up, and one doesn't really quite fall under the heading fired up, but it's something that I, I, this week that I enjoyed, so I'll mention it. Um, Last Monday, um, when we were recording, uh, we we did get the the news that uh, Robin Williams had passed away, um, and Mark Maron reposted... uh, the episode that Robin did of his WTF interview, um, Mark Marin interviewed him for his podcast WTF back in 2010, and he reposted that interview, and man, is it great. Yeah. It's a really good interview. Um, it, it's probably the most human I've ever heard Robin be, you know, the, the most real and really kind of opening up, and, and not, I mean, he does he tells some funny stories, and he, he kind of riffs a little bit, but he's not doing bits. He's just kind of talking, and it's a good conversation. Uh, I've also heard that his interview uh, with uh, Fresh Air from uh, a couple years back was recently re-aired and reposted, and I've heard similar things about that Because Fresh Air, and she gets it out you. Yeah, Fresh Air is fabulous. Yeah. um, Getting caught up on that. Um, So that's what I would recommend. I really, if if you're a fan of Robin at all, and if you want something to kind of help you process through this other than watching one of his films, which that's something I did this this week as well... um, I would recommend you listen to that. He does touch on his, his substance abuse and his depression a couple of times, and that's a little heavy, um, you know, to hear him talking about something that you know is going to be a big deal in four years from when he's talking. Uh, but he also tells a story about Robert De Niro and Awakenings um, that I'm, I'm going to go, go ahead movie. and tell right now. I love that movie. Um, I'm going to go and tell the story right now. Do it. I'm going to do it. Um, I won't try to tell it as well as Robin did, obviously, because that would be stupid. Uh, but basically they're setting up for a take, and they're driving around the block. And, um, th- this, um, as Robin described him, old black wino, uh, approaches the car and shouts at De Niro, hey, Bobby, you still like black pussy? <laughs> that's it, that's the end of the story, and I guess De Niro just, like, loses it, and, like, is trying to, like, get his composure for they're coming around the block for the, this take. Oh, no. so that's a fun story. <laughs> uh-huh. That's a
1: dramatic moment. Yeah, because yeah. that movie doesn't have No, a lot it's not watch. a funny movie. No, it's that's really a good not. movie
0: though. I love it you guys seen awakenings? I'm talking to you listener. You should check it out. Uh, finally, um I was able to see Richard Linklater's uh, Boyhood this weekend mm. and Man, that's a movie, guys. Um I don't want to say too much about it because I feel like if I say too much that might spoil some of what makes it so special. For those of you who aren't aware, uh, Richard Linklater, who uh, directed uh, the Before trilogy, that's before Sunrise, before Sunset, and before Midnight, um, he also directed um, Days and Confused, uh, and A Scanner Darkly, and much more mainstream, A, a School of Rock with Jack Black. So anyway, uh, in 2002, uh, Richard Linklater just started filming this movie with Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette and this little six-year-old seven-year-old boy uh, named L.R. Coltrane and uh, kept shooting about 20 minutes of footage every year uh, for the next 12 years. Uh, So 2002 and then every year following that to 2013 for a total 12 years of footage and then you know Release this year, just wow! Well, the scope of that, yeah, the f- is the, amazing. The fact that they got it made makes it an awesome film. Just the ambition and audacity alone, even if it was garbage, it would still be worth your time. The fact that it's not garbage uh, absolutely makes it worth your time. I, I adore it. I, I just think, it's, and I know it's, oh man, way to take a, a controversial stance, Dalton. You like Boyhood? Yeah, I know everybody likes it right now. Everybody's talking about it, and they should be because Richard Linklater's a great director, a great writer. And he has done something that no one else has ever done. Ever. Ever. This is an achievement in filmmaking that we should all be excited about. Because nobody has shot a film over 12 years. Nothing comes to mind. And maybe they've shot a film over several years and it took them a long time to get made. And they had to do pickups. Like, there are some, some stories about these really grand, early...
1: Uh, Famously, uh, Eraserhead from David Lynch took five or six years. Yeah, it I mean,
0: there, there like, are some yeah. stories about films that took a long time to get, get to theaters but intentionally took him he said I'm going to make this film over the next 12 years of my life and I've got to have a backup plan because if I die before we're finished that's just going to be unfortunate and they made it and it mm-hmm. works um, the, the one thing I will say is don't go in expecting a movie movie don't expect all these upheavals and oh life is so dramatic because there's a, it is the splendor and magic of m- mundanity really, is is how wonderful and how wonderfully mundane life can be. Um, Which isn't to say there aren't some really poignant moments in it, but it isn't one of those things where you go into and it's just like, oh, it's a big cry fest because life is so sad. No, not really. Life's got some peaks and valleys. But uh, really it's just about growing up. And I think it's a really spectacular film that I recommend everybody uh, check out if they get the chance. Excellent. Thank you
2: very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up? Not really. Uh, I did watch Law. That was my fired up this week in Pop Cold. What would you think? I... Very enjoyable film. I uh, picked it up on a whim. I'd heard many good things about mm-hmm. it, obviously. Uh, I love Tom Hardy, so it was a win-win for me. It's a really good mo- movie. It's a really good single location film because it's Tom Hardy in a car for 85 minutes. And it is very interesting to see uh, get pulled into this rabbit hole of this man's psyche as he unravel all of his dark secrets and just what kind of person he is deep down inside and it's a great performance from tom hardy and it's, it's just a, it's a very interesting little film
0: yeah i've heard a lot of great things about Arthur. i'm, I'm glad to have somebody i know recommended to me yeah. well i guess we'll uh we'll come around to that side of the table we always and dustin sells we'll end with you what's got you fired up this week in pop culture
1: well i finally got around to catching matthew mcconaughey and jared leto's oscar-winning performances in the dallas buyers club All right, all right, all right. and I gotta say it was really really fantastic it was really transcendent it really moved me uh, my favorite moment is the butterflies really my favorite moment. your favorite moment is the butterflies I absolutely am just astounded at so
0: that. many great moments in that film and your favorite's the kitschiest of them all I, I love it I think it's absolutely <laughs>
1: magic I don't think there's movie. ever been a good scene with butterflies in any movie that is incorrect I cite silence of the lambs to begin with moths correct then those are still butterflies it's mm-hmm. the same Genus, different species. Back off, Jack. I'm a scientist. But I do I did love it. There's a lot of other fantastic moments. The other big moment for me is a hug that takes place. And, and 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 just to watch a film in which a hug matters so much. Dear listener, if you are at all involved in giving your coin and your money to movies, if you are at all involved in making of the movies, we have got to throw all the dollar bills. At movies in which a hug means something, also the one of the finest spiritual moments in one of the least spiritual places, uh, where I was thinking there were votive candles and an altar and prayer, and it was at an altar, but it was a worship of a slightly different god but it it's absolutely fantastically funny it's brilliant i love I love all the performances i I know the the I grew up around oil Derrick's my entire life. I know Matthew McConaughey's character, and I know all of his friends, and we all grew up together. So, loved that movie very, very much. I also am doing the summer reading list working through still, and I have in my greasy fingers at this very moment, Out of the Shadows by Gene D. Phillips. And it's about expanding the canon of film noir. We like film noir on the Good Trash genre cast. Even though film noir is sort of that artsy-fartsy thing that people talk about, they're into cinema, those are B-pictures. Those are just grinded out weekly movies that were coming out, and then we realize somehow... They were magic and fantastic and there was more going on in the Maltese Falcon or the Big Sleep, etc. This book is about what makes a film a film noir and what films are kind of loud on the list. And one of the things that we do on this show is we break apart the canon and we want to broaden the conversation to other movies that you can actually talk theory and theoretical concepts uh, around films that are not just Lawrence of Arabia, Casablanca, and The Godfather. That and that's, that's a pretty good mix, isn't it?
0: I like Lawrence of Arabia.
1: I, well, I like them all, but the, the there's more. Yeah, there's so yeah. Much oh, there's so many more. more, and they don't have to be this sort of highfalutin Oscar baity sort of movies in order to be part of that conversation, or art house for that matter. Exactly, or world cinema for that matter. And so this move, this book is about breaking open the canon to expand to some other films. And also it has a very, very generous view of the modern cycle of neo-noirs, both in the 70s and in the late 1990s up until the mid-2000s. We've had some good ones. It's exciting to see that. And um, I really have enjoyed, uh, I'm uh, halfway through the book, and I'm loving it a whole, whole lot. So I recommend it highly. It's from Scarecrow Press. They're a good publishing company. They're a fine publishing company. I think the world of them. And you should, too. Well, dear listener, I'm so thankful that you have stayed with us this long and heard this show in which we discussed the Lego movie and did things with it, analysis with it, that were maybe not quite so expected and trite and boring as oftentimes is the case so we do hope that you enjoyed what you heard we'd love to hear your feedback on our gameplay on our suggestions uh, on the things that have us fired up and the things that have you fired up in pop culture but we have to round out our month of hosty host picks and the last hosty host is the host with the most mr dalton stewart what is your pick sir that's me baby well i man um
0: I'm going to read you the list of films that didn't make the cut. Blade Runner, James Gunn's Super, which you should still watch, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, Short Term 12, Manhunter, the first Hannibal Lecter film, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Reservoir Dogs, and Wayne's World.
1: Excellent. We can tell now that Dalton is not lashing out for the picks that we've made this
0: month. No, I'm perfectly happy with the picks we've had this month. Um, but I decided to land on a film that I just don't think I'm going to be able to convince the rest of my co-hosts to watch for this show. Oh boy. I just don't think it's going to happen, um, but longtime listeners will remember it was my favorite film of 2012, and that is Joe Carnahan's The Grey starring Liam Neeson. I don't know who you
1: are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for a ransom...
0: Uh, it's something I've been wanting to revisit for a long time. I've only seen the movie the once when I saw it in theaters in 2012, uh, and it's been on Netflix for a good long while. And every month or so, every couple months, I'll go, "We could do the gray," and everybody's like, "Nah." And I'm like, "Okay." So we're gonna do the gray. Uh, I want to talk about it. I feel like there's a lot of analysis we can all bring to it uh, as co-hosts, and I think it's 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 a very much a good trash film. I, I think it squarely fits within our realm. I didn't decide to to branch out and do something we wouldn't normally do on this show. But I wanted to do something I didn't think I could convince everyone else to do.
1: Well, that's right, dear listeners. So, if you want to watch Oscar Schindler save his daughter from a pack of wolves... Nope, no daughter. It's not Oscar Schindler, either. It is Oscar Schindler. No, it's not. It's Liam Neeson. It's Oscar Schindler. I was making all the movies jokes.
0: Oh, sorry. His daughter. Gotcha, gotcha. Sorry. (laughs) Taken. Whoops! (laughs) took me a second your joke was so so multi-leveled that I
1: lost it <laughs> you can redo the joke or just keep this whichever funnier <laughs> to you
0: it's, it's funny
1: so do take a look at the gray take a look at the Lego movie if you've been living under a rock and until then dear listener watch a movie somebody you care about have a conversation I want you to get under the wolf
0: next part's very
1: important <laughs> she's hiding under the wolf oh, <laughs> oh is she oh yes, she's yes, yes. Yeah. you're going to be taken yeah. by the wolf by the wolf <laughs>
2: In touch with the ground I'm on the hunt I'm after you Smell like
1: a sound I'm lost in a crowd And I'm hungry like the wolf Sounds like a completely <laughs> different sort of film now, doesn't it? Uh, mm. but I will find you And I will neuter you <laughs> Have that conversation, make those spoofy jokes, and talk about how it makes life meaningful and how you can find out how to live a more fulfilled and satisfying sort of life. And until then, dear listener, we'll see you next time. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool.
0: Than an awesome possum. Dip my body in chocolate frosting. Three years later, I shot the frosting. Smelling like a blossom. Everything is awesome. Stepped in mud, got new brown shoes. It's awesome to win and it's awesome to lose. It's awesome to lose. It's
2: awesome to lose. It's awesome 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 Everything is better when we stick together. Side by side, you and I
1: to win.